are now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here with Rich Hill on this glorious Victory Tuesday. Week four is in the books. The Patriots are 4-0. Rich Hill, it wasn't the prettiest victory I've ever seen, but usually around this time of the year on the NFL calendar, the Pats are 2-2, two two, so I am okay with it. Yeah, I'm happy with it, too. You get a tough road win. You take that every single time, even though it's the Bills. Yeah, I remember, they were 3-0. They were undefeated coming to this game. One team left with a win. It was the Patriots. You can't complain about a road divisional win, ever. You never can. And no matter if it's the Bills and they're always been the punching bag, you're happy with this victory. Totally. And the Bills, we'll talk about it a little bit later in the podcast, but the Bills have kind of given the Patriots all they can handle over the past couple of games. That defense is no joke. I'm curious for your take on whether it's the Patriots' offense being bad, the Bills' defense being good, a combination of the two. We'll get to that in a minute, Rich. But I want to talk about a couple of games that were in Week 4. Um not a lot of real barn burners. Uh, I was very surprised that Buccaneers hung 55 on the Rams. Yeah. That's an NFC game. That was wild. The Dolphins lost, shockingly. Um, but the two games I want to talk about, maybe touch on before we get to the Patriots-Bills game, are the two games that will probably matter when it comes to playoff seating in November and December. And that is the Chiefs squeaking out a road win at the Lions. And then the Browns laying 40 on the Ravens. Was this just a weird week in the NFL, Rich, or is something going on here? I did think it was a little bit of a weird week. First off, you have the Titans flattening the Falcons 24-10. You have the Raiders beating the Colts 31-24. So you had some of those weird little games at the end of it, but I think the Browns beating the Ravens is kind of expected. I mean, we all thought that the Browns would be a good team, and the Ravens caught a lot of people by surprise. So maybe that's kind of a little bit of a regression towards what people were expecting. But that Chiefs squeaking out a victory over the Lions, I have one big hope from this. And I think and I pray that other teams are going to watch what the Lions did against the Chiefs and use it as a lesson in a similar way to how every team saw the Detroit Lions performance against the Los Angeles Rams last year and use that as a blueprint to stop them. And that's something that we've seen time and time again is how these other teams have learned from the Detroit Lions defense. And I'm hoping that the Patriots can see how the Lions uh, gave Patrick Mahomes a lot of trouble in the first three quarters of the game how they stifle that offense and be able to do it better when they meet later this year. Yeah, what's really scary about the Chiefs, and we've seen it firsthand as Patriots fans twice, is that you can have them dead to rights. It can be 27 to nothing with eight minutes in the fourth quarter, and they can score 30 points on three quick drives, like they, they, or, or four quick drives. Like they, they can do that. They're very capable of it. It's one of those offenses. They are never out of it until the clock is on the zeros. And while the Lions did enough, I think – they still hung 27 and then 34 when uh, late. It, it, the Holmes had no touchdowns, correct? No touchdowns from Mahomes, and they were still able to to win. That's pretty scary. Uh, the line, uh, the Chiefs' defense isn't great though, which is a big problem for them, especially with an offense as potent as the Patriots. When that meeting happens, how about the uh, the Browns and the Ravens, Rich? What happened there? The Ravens' defense was good. The Ravens' offense was good. The Browns was. The Browns were a middling team at best. How did they put 40 up on Baltimore? Yeah, I mean, the Ravens' defense is good until they're not. They rank towards the bottom of the league in adjusted yards allowed, so they give up a lot of yardage. They give up a lot of scores. 
And this Browns team pulled a lot of it together. But the big thing is, A, looking at that slot production. Jarvis Landry had 167 yards, including a 65-yard grab, 167 yards on eight catches. That's some big production out of the slot. But the big reason is the fact that the Ravens just let Nick Chubb run wild over them. He had 165 yards on 20 carries and three touchdowns including an 88-yard score that really put this game out of distance for the Ravens. You know, 88 yards to take a 30-18 to lead uh, midway through the fourth quarter. I mean, this Ravens team, they caught everyone by surprise at the beginning, but a big part of it was that they just absolutely flattened the Miami Dolphins in the opener, and they've been, like, fine ever since. So I think if this is a little bit of a rectification from what we saw early in the year with some struggles for the Browns and some overachievement by the Ravens. These teams are probably going to be in a similar spot towards the end of the year, both vying for that wild card spot. And I think both of them will finish somewhere in that eight or eight and eight and nine and seven range. I'll tell you, given the AFC North, uh, nine and seven might be enough to win the division. I'll be very curious to see how that goes. And I think the AFC North is going to spend the entire 2019 season beating up on each other, which bodes well for the other three divisions in that conference. Uh, but the conference or the division that really matters to us, Rich, obviously, is the AFC East. The Patriots have been to Miami and they've been to Buffalo. They've come away with wins in both games. I want to talk to you as we start to break this game down, Rich, about this Bills defense. The Patriots offense looked putrid against the Bills. There's really no way around it. They had two good drives. One ended in a touchdown. One ended in a pretty inexcusable picks uh, in the end zone from Tom Brady. Other than that, especially in the second half, it was just three and outs. I think they had one drive with uh, with seven yards or seven plays, which was a, a field goal. One was like five, and the rest were just three and outs. They could not get anything going whatsoever. How much, in your opinion, Rich, is the balance between the Bills defense being championship caliber, which I think they are, the Patriots offense having an off day, or some amalgam of both? I definitely think it's both of those. I mean, you got to remember that they're on the road in Buffalo. The Bills defense has given Tom Brady fits ever since Sean McDermott became head coach and modified how that defense plays. You know, they moved away from that whole Rex Ryan style of defense and they play just very solid coverage. I mean, this is what Bill Belichick was saying heading into the game is that they don't change their game plan. They don't have a lot of different coverages. They just have really good talent and they win with it. They have very versatile safeties in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde and Hyde was the one that registered that interception in the end zone. They have really good linebackers that are able to cover running backs. And we saw that with Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds doing a really good job covering James White out of the backfield. And then they have a solid pass rush up front. So they're not world beaters, but they get enough pressure up front that Tom Brady doesn't have all day to allow someone to get open. So they're a very complimentary defense. They do a lot of things really well. And they do a really good job of not having breakdowns because they've played together for so long. And when teams don't make mistakes on defense, it's hard to move the ball. And the Bills have had a top five defense in recent years. So they have a great defense and they're at home and the Patriots offense is completely banged up. So it makes sense that there's going to be some struggles. Yeah, I mean, I think the Edelman injury is more grievous than I originally thought. Usually you hear chest injury, maybe he had a little bruise or something like that, but I think he's dealing with something because he did not get that textbook separation that he needed to get. Edelman really does is the engine that this offense runs off of. Without him as a viable option, they really are limited. It does make me worried, Rich Hill. I mean, I don't sit here. I'm not going to sit here and say I want Antonio Brown back because I 100% do not. But 
thinking about the injuries on this team, like they're kind of at critical mass already. And if another guy in this offense, another key piece of the offense goes down, they might struggle a bit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you just run down who they were missing yesterday uh, and they don't have David Andrews at center. He's out for the year. They didn't have Isaiah Wynn, their left tackle, who is much better than Marshall Newhouse, even though Newhouse did a fine job against the Bills. But they're down, so that's two starting linemen. Marcus Cannon and Joe Tooney have been on the injury report. They're banged up. They did not have Rex Burkhead for much of the game because he was limited due to his injury. Uh, they were limited at wide receiver because Edelman is banged up with his chest, so he wasn't really able to contribute. Uh, they were down their top tight end and Ben Watson, who was suspended, and his two backups, both Ryan Izzo and Matt Lacoste, were on the injury report. Josh Gordon's having his hand thing that he suffered an injury uh, week three against the Jets, so he is also banged up. When you go top to bottom, this is an offense that was missing key starters. They had players that were just really dealing with injuries. I didn't even mention James Devlin, who is out for the foreseeable future, and so they had to have Jacob Johnson out there in front of Sony Michelle. So you're banked up against a great defense on the road. You take that victory any way you can, and you're thankful that no one else got hurt, and you hope that in a couple weeks all these players' injuries will kind of be in the past and they will be better for it moving forward. So, yeah, this is completely, completely wrecked. And actually, Alec, my thought for you is after watching this offense and seeing that passing attack struggle, when it comes to bringing players back from the injured reserve, we talked about this last week, you have Isaiah Wynn, James Devlin, and Nikhil Harry. Who do you bring back at this point? You know, it's funny. I, the obvious answer in this situation with the passing game kind of struggling a bit would be, oh, you bring Nikhil Harry back. There's an extra weapon for Tom Brady. But I'm starting to lean more heavily on, on Wynn and Devlin again because that's a good left tackle. Um, and James Devlin is a legitimately bona fide stud fullback. And Tony Michelle loves running behind James Devlin. Uh, a couple of plays that Jakob Johnson whiffed on his block and Michelle got stopped in the backfield. And I think that the running game is such a crucial part of this offense because it sets up the play action. The guys will get open more. There are linebackers and secondary have to respect the run if it actually works. And there were a couple of plays against the Bills where the Patriots had legit six offensive linemen out there. A six lineman reported as a tight end, but he stayed in to block. They still couldn't move the ball. So I think I'd much rather have a solid tackle and James Devlin blocking so the running game can take the pressure off the passing attack and allow guys to get open. It'd be great to have Nikhil Harry. I think he'd be a, a, a value add to the passing game. And again, if a receiver gets hurt on this extended time, I'll change my opinion. But if the guys got to come back right now, I'm taking Devlin and Win to supplement the passing game with the run. That's a good, interesting choice there. I mean, I was thinking with Harry just because this passing attack looked terrible against the Bills. I mean, this was one of Tom Brady's worst games of, honestly, his career. So I, I actually went through the numbers and dating back to when Brady became a starter, this was his 14th worst game as a starting quarterback. And this is according to the stat adjusted net yards. So you convert touchdowns and interceptions to plus or minus yardage. You factor in sacks. This was one of his worst days. And if you look over the past decade, you know, since he's returned back from his ACL injury, this was his third worst outing dating back to 2009. The only two that were worse were week 16 last year against the Buffalo Bills where he only picked up 126 yards through the air, through two interceptions. That was worse than this game. But again, it was against this Bills defense that has been very, very good. And the only one worse than that was that wild card game back in 2009 against the Ravens, where he was just abysmal. That was his third worst game of his career. So 
this is a passing attack that did not do well. Brady really, really struggled. And so part of me is like, do we want to bring Harry back? Do we need to have additional uh, skill at that position? Because Edelman's banged up shore. Josh Gordon seems to be dropping passes a couple times a game. And then Philip Dorsett, I think he's been great, but only two catches on nine targets against the Bills. That's not what you need. And I wonder if putting Nikhil Harry out there, giving Brady a bigger body, will give the offense a little more opportunity to score in the red zone or give a little more dynamism when they're trying to use the play-action pass with Michelle in the backfield. Yeah, it very well may. And maybe it's a scenario where they bring back like Lennon Harry and, and, and they're replacement offensive lineman by the time the IR eligibility is up there, they're ingrained into the system that's working very well. I don't think they were a liability, the replacement uh, offensive lineman, but the Bills able to penetrate because they're good. When you have a really good defense, they're going to do well, uh, and that's just the way it is. It's just funny, though, how there are certain takes in the Boston media, shockingly, that painted this game as the Patriots snuck away with one. They didn't deserve to win. The Bills were the better team, as if there aren't three phases to a football game. Offense, Bills advantage. Defense, special teams, Patriots advantage. This Patriots defense continues to dominate, what was it, four picks, five sacks, um, just completely shutting out. A lot of the sacks were the coverage variety. There wasn't enough, uh, no no open men down the field for Josh Allen to throw to. And then this huge, basically, the game swung on that special teams punt block where Matthew Slater, congrats to you, buddy, first touchdown ever as a Patriot. Mind blown (laughs) at that stat. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet. But if the special teams uh, in the punting game, Jake Bailey was probably the MVP of the game, in my opinion, just he switch the field position. So if the defense keeps doing what it's doing and the special teams uh, wins the field position battle, gets the occasional block punt or block field goal in there, this New England team can 100% afford to lay a stinker on offense on a once in a while because you don't need to score that many points to win a game now. Oh, absolutely. I think that's huge, 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 huge for the Patriots is that they don't need to rely on Tom Brady because this is exactly what you said, a fully complimentary game. And when you look at what Everyone was saying after the Patriots beat the Chiefs in overtime in the last conference championship game is that defense matters. You know, you can't just say that the offense is the only thing that people are here to watch because this defense was an absolute show stealer. I mean, you look up and down that roster. Devin McCourty has four interceptions in four games. Jason Jackson had two interceptions. He was also responsible for that pump block. Jamie Collins sealed the game with an interception of his own. There was nobody open down the field for this Bills team. And Evan Lazar of CLNS actually noted that while he was watching the film review, it was very clear that the Patriots played a lot of cover one with only one deep safety or cover zero, meaning that they did not feel like Josh Allen's arm was a threat whatsoever. They were challenging to throw the ball deep down the field, and he was not able to do it because they don't think he has a very accurate arm. And this scheme is incredible out. Have we seen a Patriots defense rack up so many pressures and so many sacks at any point under Bill Belichick? I mean, I mean, back in 03 and 04, sure. But since you and I started podcasting, Rich, that's our third or fourth year doing it now. I think that we've always been lamenting how the pass rush can't seem to get home. The pass rush isn't there. The pass rush isn't there. And – this year, the pass rush is there. And what's funny about it is they lost their best edge defender in Trey Flowers. I wouldn't say they have any kind of like bona fide studs in their front line. They have good players, but there's not like any kind of defensive lineman that I have to game plan around this guy. But they're just playing as a unit. Their linebackers are – I don't know what Jamie Collins did between Cleveland and now, but he's better than he was when he was first here. It, it, it's, it's, like, it's like you go to Cleveland, you're like, oh my god, this is an awful existence – 
If I go back to New England, I'm giving 110% and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to earn it. I don't know what it is, but this linebacker core is so lights out. That was without Hightower, mind you. This pass rush combined with this secondary, I don't want to sit here and say like, this could be the best defense of the 2000 Ravens. It's still too early, but if this keeps up, this is a historically good defense right now. Oh, absolutely. Football Outsiders has this as the second best defense through four games in their entire history. So that's dating back to the mid 80s. So this is a great defense. They have 10 interceptions through four games. That is the most under Bill Belichick in the first quarter of the year. They have 18 sacks, which is also the most under Belichick in the first quarter of the year. This is a defense that is leading the league in almost every single metric that you can think of on defense. And yes, sure, they absolutely, without question, benefit from playing the Miami Dolphins. There's no question about that. But they are still succeeding against these other offenses. They have the ability to only play who is on their schedule. They're absolutely crushing them, and they've been doing it nonstop since the Super Bowl. This, in my mind, is the most versatile defense we've seen under Bill Belichick, and this is like the fruition of all of these positionless-esque players with Patrick Chung and Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins and Adam Butler. These are what Bill Belichick envisions as prototypes so the Patriots don't have to rotate players in and out of the field because all of them can handle multiple roles, and it's paying off in a big way. No, it is, and it's funny. I think that the Belichick-run defense is always kind of centered around strong, smart, quick, versatile linebackers that it took him a while to get. He had a few misses, and Rashawn Crable supposed to be that guy, and Tully Banta Kane, and it never quite came to a, to a, a head with three to four just lights out linebackers. But I, I I can't think of better linebacker core than Kyle Van Noy, Dante Hightower, and Jamie Collins. And I haven't mentioned Jawan Bentley or Lendon Roberts, who I think are our value adds as well. And those guys are just so versatile and quick that it really opens up the defensive playbook, uh, which allows Belichick to play the piano keys, there, <laughs> which I thought was a great I, – I, I'm, I'm loving the gifts and memes about that uh, today. And it's just really fun to watch. And it's nice to finally – I guess once again, remember those years, Rich, when – Every time the defense took the field, you just kind of like cringe a little bit and you're oh, yeah. a little worried. Um, that is no longer the case for me. Unfortunately, what is the case for me, I'm now cringing every time there's a field goal attempt or an extra point attempt, mm. which is a very unusual feeling as a Patriots fan. Terry Daskowski, it's been a very long time since kind of like held my breath for a point after touchdown or a field goal over 30 yards. What's up with Ghost? You worried about him? Uh, absolutely. I mean, he has four missed field uh, extra points and one missed field goal. I'm not super concerned about the field goal. That was a 48-yarder. That happens. But the fact that he's missed 11 out of 15 extra points – or sorry, he's made 11 out of 15, he's missed four, that is definitely cause for concern because they don't look good. He is missing them just like straight lines off to the side. And I'm like, uh, maybe the Patriots should consider just going for two every time that might be better in the long run and it's just i am definitely concerned part of me is wondering and i've always wondered this since the nfl changed the rule with how uh kickoffs are done where if you get a touchback in the end zone you start on the 25 yard line and so patriots have changed up goskowski's kickoff motion where he tries to drop the ball at the goal line so the other team returns it so you get an extra like five yards per drive if they only return it to the 20 and I've always wondered if changing that has messed with his extra point motion. So he's missed like on average, like two a year over the past three years since that rule change. And 
you know, missing four in a single year and in the first quarter, that's one per game. That's huge. That's definitely concerning. And if he doesn't fix this, I'm not saying that they should cut him because he's still a great kicker, but they should probably start thinking about the future and bringing in some competition next year. Yeah, I mean, man, it's going to get to the point where, I mean, Patriots had a six-point lead late in the fourth quarter where that extra point could potentially have cost them the game if the Bills were able to drive down and score. They score, if he'd made the extra point, it's a tie game. The pass get the ball back, perhaps kick a field goal to win it. But we saw it against the uh, what the Denver Broncos in 2015 playoffs. Like, the missed extra points, they're not that big a deal if they come in the first quarter. But that one point can really make a difference between winning and losing a game long term. I really hope he gets himself together. I think he will. Why do you think, though, Rich, they're, they're not employing Jake Bailey as a kickoff guy? I know he can do it. Why not give him a shot? I have no idea. Honestly, I, I think that the Patriots should consider doing that. They should allow Goskowski to focus entirely on doing those play, uh, those extra point field goal sort of kicking motions and let Jake Bailey do it. I mean, he has been outstanding as a punter. And honestly, he's been such a bright spot. And if they let him do those kickoffs, like I guess there's technically that questionable that affects his punting motion, but because they're so drastically different, I don't know. I, I think that they should let Bailey do that. They should let Goskowski in his advanced age, you know, the fact that he's 35 years old, let him focus on specifically doing extra points and field goals. Let Bailey handle the rest of the load. Don't have Goskowski running down the field on those kickoffs. I think that's be a much better use of, of his ability and the entire roster comp- the composition. No, I totally agree with that. Maybe if he really continues to struggle, the Gaskowski does, they'll think about using uh, Jake Bailey as that kickoff guy. But until then, um, we'll just have to kind of roll with it and hope whatever's given goes to the yips goes away and doesn't come back. Uh, last thing I want to ask you, Rich, before we close out this week's podcast, or the Tuesday podcast, I should say, uh, I'd love to get your take on the J.C. Jackson hit on Josh Allen that knocked him out. Mm. People are saying it was a dirty hit, a malicious hit. I personally don't think it was. I think it's very clear he was trying to lead with the shoulder. Uh, Allen's a big guy. Deron Harmon couldn't bring him down on his own. I don't. I, I, I agree with that being a penalty and a flag, but I also don't know what you're supposed to do if a guy's leading with his helmet, diving forward with the ball, trying to get extra yards, and he happens to move his head into the line of where your shoulder's going and you butt heads. Like, what do you do there, and did you think it was a dirty play? No, I don't think it was dirty at all, and I, I do think that, player safety is paramount. That should be the number one focus of the NFL right now is protecting their players. But this was such a quick play that happened towards the first down marker. So Jonathan Jones was trying to make sure that Josh Allen did not cross. And technically it probably should not have been a bit like a penalty because Josh Allen was a runner and you're able to tackle them in the open field, especially because he wasn't, uh, Jonathan Jones was not leading with his helmet, but I totally understand the fact that they threw the flag for that. you got to protect the quarterbacks. I just, it was not dirty. Jonathan Jones did try to do everything that he could to stand his ground, to turn his head away so he doesn't do the helmet to helmet. Josh Allen was running with his head down. So, of course, that's going to make the first impact. Jonathan Jones did everything that he could. I I wouldn't be surprised if he were fined for it. I don't think he should be. But this was just a football play that happened at high speed. It looked really, really bad because Josh Allen was leading with his head. And anytime a quarterback does get hurt, it's going to draw a lot of attention. I don't think it was dirty in any way whatsoever by Jonathan Jones because he's never been that type of a player. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I think on the flip side of that, the NFL, if they're going to start cracking down on that, which, again, they're more than welcome to do, they should also start cracking down on players who like to lower their crown of their helmet and lead with that, a.k.a. like Julian Edelman and Sony Michelle. I feel like every time those guys run, they lower the helmet and they lead with their face. I don't know how you stop a player on the defense from doing that if you've got a offensive player trying to gain extra yards. It's a very gray area. Uh I don't. I think that once the Bills fans calmed down and they saw the replays, they've kind of come back a little bit. But there were guys screaming for John Jones's head yesterday. Um, hopefully, Josh Allen's okay. I like the kid. He's he's mobile. He's got potential. I think the Bills are a potential playoff team. They could easily be a wild card contender given the weakness of the AFC this year. But if they're going to roll with Matt Barkley for the rest of the year, that might be a, a tougher road to hoe. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this Bills team will be right there with what we were talking about at the beginning with the the Browns and the Ravens. Those should be the teams that are vying for those wildcard spots, maybe throwing the Titans and Jaguars and Texans, whoever comes in second place in the South. There's going to be not a lot of great teams in the AFC, but the Bills should be in that next tier of people that are vying for a playoff spot. So hope the best for Josh Allen. You never want to see someone get knocked out of the game like that. But I don't think it was a bad play by Jonathan Jones by any measure. It's a very competitive divisional game. And the Patriots came out on top. At the end of the day, Patriots are 4-0. They finished the first quarter of the season unblemished. And then I'm sure Bill Belichick is telling the team right now they're heading into the second quarter. They're 0-0. They have no wins, no losses. Let's try and finish this quarter of the year 4-0 as well. Amen to that. We got a interesting game coming up this Sunday at Washington. The Redskins, one of those teams I kind of forget exists till they play the Patriots every, every four years. I know very little about them, so I'm glad we're closing out right now so I can go and research the Redskins for our next podcast on Thursday. Absolutely. Until next time, Alec, you have a good one. See you, buddy. Later, man.